Let's pray, shall we, just as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you for this time in our week where we can hear your word read in a moment, where we can reflect upon it, and where we can, under the guidance of your spirit, commit afresh in the spirit of the prayer we've just prayed to follow you. We ask at the beginning of this new season that Jesus would be the Lord of Stopsley Baptist Church, that we would take delight in you, and by your grace that you might take delight in what you see here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we are beginning a new series, and uh, I wanted to talk to you at the beginning of it about what's in my bathroom. Um, In my bathroom, I have a radio. It's a DAB radio. It was given to me by people from this church very soon after I arrived here, and it's still going. And it's one of my most precious things. When I get up in the morning and I have a shower, the first thing I do is I put on the radio. I listen to Radio 6. That's really cool, by the way. And while I'm in the shower, I will be uh, singing along or assessing the song that I'm listening to. A digital bait radio, I think, is a really interesting metaphor for our times, in as much as old school radios had interference on them a lot of the time, didn't they? Have you ever tried to tune in a transistor radio and heard all these different signals and try to hear clearly what's going on? Particularly difficult when you're driving as you move through different t- territory. We live in a world where there are multiple signals and a lot of interference. We live in a world which is different from the world in the UK that I grew up in. We are more multicultural, which I think is great, but we are more pluralistic. That means that there are more faiths living alongside each other than there used to be, which, by the way, was more like the world that Paul was writing to in his letters. We live in a world which has become increasingly secular, godless in my time and without the frame of a belief of God to forge our way through that and it's perhaps this more than anything else it seems to me that has led to our modern fascination about who we are our identity in a world without God human beings are cut loose that's true isn't it some people call this freedom I'm not so sure but it gives rise to the question who do you think you are Who do you think you are? And the only resource you have for that is the interpretation of the loud voices that are being bombarded at you and your attempt to try to make some sort of coherent sense out of that about your feelings about yourself. You try to hold that together into a coherent whole. I'm overstating this because I'm preaching and I know there are questions you could ask back. Most people live without clarity on this a lot of the time. And that leads to confusion and, I think, anxiety at times. If we are left to develop our own identity, but not only that, but also our own sense of worth, then we, f- we establish a set of criterias that makes us worthwhile. If this happens, then I will be worthwhile. If this, then I am worthy. I don't know what you might think that is. If I get a good career, then I am worthy. If I earn a certain amount of money, then I am worthy. If I am in a stable relationship, I am worthy. If I have an active and fulfilling sex life, I am worthy. If I have power and position and sway, then I am worthy. If I am good-looking, then I am worthy. If I weigh this much, then I am worthy. And if we don't match up to that, then we fail. And when we fail, 
that leads to us condemning ourselves. We feel unlikable and inauthentic to what we believe in. And of course, I think the dimension of social media makes this even worse. You may know the, the programme, Who Do You Think You Are? But you can say that phrase in two different ways, can't you? You may ask asking yourself, well, who do I think I am? But people on social media will read my, something that you say, perhaps, and say, who do you think you are? Because we're judging the whole time what's going on around us. We're throwing out an ideal of what we think we would like to be. We're not living up to it, and we're hearing others critique it the whole time. This is a very vulnerable and fragile place to be in, don't you think? And we live in that world. So, I want to move on from that. When I was an English teacher, I taught King Lear, and I quite like teaching King Lear. I'm going to see it in the autumn with Rhiannon, which is going to be a joy. And in this, in the middle of King Lear, King Lear loses reference points. He loses his crown, he loses relationship with his family, he loses his home, he finds himself on a heath in a storm, and he finds that he is just... An animal, almost, is what he looks at. And the only person he has for company there is his fool, the person who will speak truth to him. And he looks at his fool and he says, Who is it that can tell me who I am? Now, I loved this when I was an English teacher, because I was a Christian as an English teacher. It's not very often you can talk about your faith, but I remember this class, and I said, That's an interesting question, isn't it? What do you think? And they'd all come up with a few answers. And one of them said, Well, what do you think? <laughs> you don't often get that chance, do you? Who is it that can tell me who I am? And I want to suggest, for the purposes of this series, of course, that we do not interpret our world as those who are godless or are secular. We believe that the answer to that is found within our faith. What I do want to say is that it is very possible for us to live as uh, practical atheists. What that means is that you will come in here, and of course you'll say you're a Christian, but in your head, and the way you see yourself, and the way you conduct yourself, you live as if you're occupying exactly all those confusing voices that everybody else is. So we're coming back to this to reassure you, to tune in the radio, to hear the pure signal which we find from Scripture and through the interpretation of the Spirit, and as we talk to each other and wrestle with difficult questions and come to a place where we find peace in that, in serving God. And I want to ask now Dawn to come up and read a little bit of Scripture, which is going to guide our thoughts on that. So Dawn, if you could come and do that now, that would be great. Thank you. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 1, and I'm starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God bless his word. Thank you, Dawn. So before I carry on, I want to have a caveat here. First of all, um, I was talking to Alex about this passage earlier this week and a couple of other people in the office. It's a great joy to have colleagues, frankly. My previous church, I didn't have that. So to actually be able to turn some, to somebody and say, what do you think about this is, is fantastic. You should do that too. Ask questions. This passage has about eight sermons in it. I can't preach eight sermons. So you'll forgive me, there are some things there that I'm not going to cover. And also, I want to say this, that we are preaching a series here. That's why it's important to come here most weeks, if you can, because each week builds on each other. And what I'm going to tell you today is about God the Creator and how he created us in his image. Of course, there are things to qualify that. We don't have the perfect image of God, do we? We are broken. And there is an answer to that which we find in Jesus Christ, which I will allude to this morning, but you'll hear more about that as we go along week by week. So in Genesis chapter 1, the bit you've just read, if you'd like to have it open, Genesis chapter 1, that would be great. We're talking about this question of who we are and who is it that concerns who I am. And in this passage, we know the answer is God, but specifically, it is the creator God who's here, isn't it? The God who is creator. Because I want us to tighten a little bit this term about what we mean when we use the word God. In this sense, it is the creator God who is there. A God who at the climax of a sequence of acts of creation, which, are, which are, I believe are probably metaphors, but, but give a structure to the way the universe is formed, at the end of that, God creates human beings. The agency of God, this, is throughout the, whole, the, the, the Bible. In the New Testament, if you look at Revelation chapter 4, in the throne room of God where worship occurs, the heavenly beings are saying these words. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In other words, there is a connection between the fact of creation and the practice of worship that we should do. We are created and we are made to respond in worship. That's what it says there. And in Colossians 1, I want to say this, that Paul focuses even more precisely, not just on God, but on Christ. Because in Colossians chapter 1, it says this, All things have been created through him, that's Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is a brilliant verse, isn't it? Everything that has been made has been made by him. But more than that, everything that has been made has pur been purposed for him to find its fulfillment in relationship with God. And Jesus is holding all of that, including you, by the way, Together, why are you breathing at the moment? Well, you might say, well, there's a chemical formula to that. Of course that's the case. But in a very real sense, I believe you are because Jesus is willing it. 
He is sustaining you. Can you feel it? God is that close. That's why the Old Testament word for spirit is the same word as breath. There you are. That's how close he is. So who is it that can tell me who I am? God the creator, whom we have come to know in Jesus Christ. If we say, however, that God is the creator, this is me working through, I was sitting in Inspire Cafe trying to work out what I'd want answered here. So these are my questions. If we say that God can tell us who we are because he's the creator, I think a reasonable question following that is, why did you create us? Not just that you did, but what is the point? Why did it happen? Why did God create humanity? Why did he create you and me? What's the point? And I want to explore the answer to this why by saying that God created us to be something and also to do something. And that these two things are intricately connected together in another so that verse. Do you remember last week I talked about these verses that I'm finding with the word so that. Here's another one. Look at this. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the earth. So, we are made in the image of God to govern in creation or steward in creation, depending on what you mean. There's lots of translations for that word. Now, there's a problem if you disconnect your being and your doing. You may have heard me say this in the past, and I'm going to come back to it. We are created to be something and out of who we are to do something. If you forget who you are and then you carry on to do what you're called to do, forgetting who you are, there is a problem. We know this. Look at the world around us. We know what we're supposed to do. Everyone in the world knows that we've got to lord it over each other. We've got a rule. We need prime ministers and everybody. We make decisions. But not many of them begin by saying, hold on, before I decide that, I've got to remember that I'm made in the image of God. What does this mean? Some people call the world we're living in now, and Nick will love me for using this word, the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is a term about a geological age. It's a remarkable word. I don't know how many of you have heard that word before, the Anthropocene. It is a scary and remarkable world. The definition that I said said this. It is the current geological age viewed as the period during which human activity has been the dominant influence on climate and environment. In other words, the way the world is around us has been changed because of the activity of human beings. If We saw an, a program about the Mediterranean, I think it was, with Simon Reeve, you know his travel programs? And he went to this remote island and found on this remote island a, a strata in the earth which was made up of plastic waste a rock that was made of plastic and which will be compressed over time, completely artificial, and will become a part of us. That's there because of us. I think when God creates us to do something and we forget who we are and how we're to do those things, but we just go ahead without reference to us, that's another way of describing something that the Bible calls sin. To act without remembering who we are to act as if we're the centre of the world rather than remembering that God is at the centre of the world. Now, of course, the environment's just one ex example of that, but I think you can say that. We fall short of the glory of God in the way that we act. 
This is the age in which human influence has been dominant. But surely, if we remembered who we are, the fact that human influence was dominant ought to be a good thing. Because if we remembered who we are, that influence would make the world a better place, wouldn't it? So there's pause for thought here as we think about this. In Genesis 1, I want to carry on though and go back a little bit. This is the thing that I talked to Alex about. It's really interesting. At the end of Genesis 1, human beings are set to rule within creation. That's true. But they are seen as part of God's whole in creation. Look at this verse that's at the end. Does it say, God saw human beings that he had made and saw that they were very good? Does it say that? No. What does it say? God saw all that he had made. Were human beings part of that? Yes? Human beings are part of that, aren't they? And you could argue, indeed, the crowning glory of what has been made. But their meaning is seen within the context of everything that has been created. So when God stepped back from creation and saw everything, with human beings at the crown of that, he said, this is very good. This is very, very good. So in order to act, are we all right so far? That's probably about 20% of people asleep by now, but I'm doing not, that's not bad in this morning. <laughs> In order to act and to do well, then, we need to remember who we are. Or rather, we need to remember who we were created to be. Our being precedes our doing. And at risk of repetition, you know my main illustration for this, don't you? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. And when he was getting old, he forgot the lyrics. And he started singing, That's it for singing for this week, by the way. My point was, quite good singing, but his theology was bad. Because he sang, do, be, do, be, do. He put his doing before his being. What he should have sung is, be, do, be, do, be, do. That was a false promise about the singing, by the way. (laughs) So here's our point. Here's my point. Why we're here, what we're called to do, to rule, to govern, to steward... That itself is governed by the nature that we are created to be. We are to reflect the nature of God. That's what the the message says. When it talks about being made in the image, it says we are made to reflect the nature of the creator. Jesus is described in Colossians as the image of the invisible God. And in Hebrew 1, as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation, the exact image of his being. Now we know that, we need that, because we know that we fall short of that. So my message this morning isn't, we are brilliant, we're made in the image of God and we're perfect and here we move on. That's why I said in later weeks we'll explore that and about what the significance of Jesus in the middle of that and I'll allude to that towards the end as well. But humanity is intended to be made in the image of God. Do you think that's true? intended and made in the image of God. And those who follow Jesus are, are, are those who seek to be governed again by the character of God by being found in Christ. What it means to govern to the world after the nature of God is to be what I think is expressed in Mark 10 as a servant. Jesus shows us the true way to be human. What does it look like? Mark 10:45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served, not, sorry, to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How should we govern the earth? Well, we should do it like this. 
with a servant heart, with a shepherd heart. Wouldn't it be great if your new boss, um, who's a boss of a corporation, or the new prime minister or the president of America stood up and said, you know, it's great to have this power. I'm going to exercise this with all due diligence, but my real heart is that I want to shepherd you and care for you. I want to nurture you. I want to serve you. And I hope that everything I do from now onwards reflects a heart of a servant in the way in which I'm doing that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Someone has written, our human record of exploiting what is at our mercy proves the unfitness of fallen human beings to govern as ourselves ungoverned. What it's saying is, if we are not governed by God, we are not fit to govern. And that's what it means to be made in the image of God and to reflect his character. The so that can only happen if we remember. So maybe the question isn't so much who do you think you are, but whose do you think you are? Whose do you think you are? I wonder what your answer to that question is this morning. I'm a follower of Jesus, but it's a bit much, isn't it, to say that I belong to God? Whose? Surely I, I, I belong to me. Well, that's not really what Scripture says. Die to self, live for Christ. So our identity then and our worth and our purpose are tied up in what it is to be made in the image of God. And there have been books written about what it is to be made in the image of God. So I'm going to just spend a little bit of time highlighting two or three things just to round up today and hopefully close with something that reflects on who we are in Jesus. It's telling, I think, that when God narrates his decision to make, he doesn't say, let me make human beings in in my image. Did you notice that? What does he say? Let us make human beings in our image. Now, this is a curious expression. Who is this us? There are actually a couple of interpretations of that. But I think the one that, for me, has more credence says that this is a reflection to the Trinity that we believe that God is not a monolithic person, but God is a being in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this relationship is always on the move. I love this about God. It's my favourite thing about the Trinity. I'm not really into all that, like, God's like a Mars bar or a cheese and pickle sandwich, which people say. What's the point of all of that? The point is this, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other. And there is constant movement between the persons, working towards God's person, out of love. This is remarkable because God made you in his image. In other words, he made you to be caught up within that relationship of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And what's going on between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit all the time, do we say? Love. What's your call, therefore? You are called to be embraced by the love of God. Who am I? I am somebody who is loved by God. That's my intention. God said there's room enough in me for you. Come on. Let me embrace you. Let me make you and embrace you and value you and treasure you and see the potential in you and release you and give you freedom to do that. And, oh. But that's who we are. To be made by God then is to be loved and to be included in his love. And what's more, on the slide that came up there, not only does it say that let us make mankind, it says male and female he created them. So the implication is not only is God in relationship as creator, but what he created, human beings, are intended to be in relationship, in community. Now this is really challenging if you're a radical introvert, but let me tell you this, you don't find your, your worth ultimately until you are in re- relationship with other people and with God. CJ's going to talk to us a bit about that next week. 
as you give of yourself and you receive. Love one another, says God. How can you love one another if you never mix with other people? You have to be in relationship with people. It's all there, within there. So the church is in Christ. We believe that, don't you? Know, we, you know that phrase? I believe that Pete Brown lives his life in Christ. He finds his identity in Christ. And where is Christ? Christ is in God the Father. So if Pete is in Christ, God is in the relationship of God. By being in Christ, he's included and embraced. That's you. Come on in. Be a part of this. Live it out. Live it out because that's what love does. So that's one thing. Secondly, it says there that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Much more swiftly this. I think we are given our life as a gift, but also as a task, as, as a potential. He says, go and produce, reproduce. Now, of course, this means actual humanity, multiplying, having a family, having children, whatever that might mean, being part of that. But I think it simply means that we are made to be creative people as well. What do you think? I like Shakespeare. I've told you already. I've got two T-shirts, which, which we've got quotes of Shakespeare on. I love Shakespeare. I don't idolise him, but I love him. I love his work. And what I love about it is God made him to be creative, and what he did with his words was what, what we have now have. And I love that. And I thank God when I go to a Shakespeare play. For what I'm about to receive, may the Lord make me truly grateful. Wouldn't it be great if you went to a football match at Luton, at Kenilworth Road, and you thought, God made this. God made the potential for us to be in relationship and to enjoy this game and provide this framework. So I'm going to enjoy this, because that's what you should do. And by the way, for the, what, the Lord, what I'm about to receive, may the Lord make me truly grateful. Amen. We should say grace before a football match. Sometimes it's fulfilled and sometimes it's not. <laughs> I really believe that. It's an embrace of the goodness of creation. Isn't that a great thing to do? So as we begin our series, Who Am I? This is the last thing I want to say. We sought to filter out that interference, remember, and have a pure signal. How are you going to do that? By reading God's word, by walking with Jesus, by being filled with his spirit, by being in relationship with other people. We want to put Jesus back at the center. We are made in his image to reflect his character, whether you're an accountant, an academic, an artist, a teacher, a retired person, a student, a school child. You are made in God's image to reflect his nature. Someone has said, true humanness is found in personal communion with God. That's a massive statement, isn't it? True humanness is found in personal communion with God. It is in such personal communion that his glory is reflected and his image is to be seen. In other words, if you want to give glory to God, then remember that you are made to understand who you are in relationship with God and live that out. And then you may start to give glory to God by the way that you live. We know who we are in God because of Jesus. He's revealed that to us. We may be broken, but because of the cross and the resurrection, we have been made new in God's sight. And we have the potential again to shine forth and live in such a way that brings glory to God. Because I think that life isn't about waiting for heaven. It's about glorifying God right now. Wouldn't it be weird if God was, you really thought God was worthy of all glory and said, yeah, I really believe that. I'm going to wait for 20 years. Do it now. Do it now. Live the reality of what it is to be in relationship with God. 
We are made to be very good, but that doesn't undermine the residual truth that we are also broken. But that doesn't undermine the following truth that we also are made new in Christ. So a summary. I want to talk about a hazelnut as a summary. And because I read this quote, you remember Julian of Norwich? Somebody you will know, Julian of Norwich, a 13th century mystic, whose most famous statement was, and all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Great statement, isn't it? I've said here in the past that um, it is sort of echoed in the best exotic marigold hotel where it says, everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. That's paraphrasing Julian of Norwich. Here's another thing of Julian Norwich. Julian Norwich spent some time looking at a hazelnut one morning, and she reflected on this and said, in this little thing I saw three truths. The first is that God made it, the second is that God loves it, and the third is that God sustains it. I think that's brilliant. This is about you this morning. The first thing is that God made you. The second thing is that God loves you, and the third thing is that God sustains you. Praise God. Praise God. In closing, I just wanted to draw us back to Jesus because I was thinking about how to do this. And of course, in the Old Testament, people are living out this, and we've talked over the summer about rising and falling. Now, towards the end of the Old Testament, there's a book called Zephaniah. What's it called? Thanks, I'd forgotten. Zephaniah, chapter 3. And in Zephaniah, chapter 3, there is a prophecy of Jesus to come, the Messiah. And it says these words. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will reduce, rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Isn't that a wonderful verse? I'm a dad. What a blessing. I have three children. I'm a greater blessing. When I see my children, it makes me smile. I rejoice over them. God sees you and rejoices over you. Three things. The Lord made you. The Lord sustains you. The Lord loves you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.